Good morning. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Alison. I've been here for some time, ever since having a very, very profound um, conversion experience um, many years ago. This morning, um, we are looking, we've been looking at Luke, um, the Gospel of Luke, and today we're just going to start from Luke 10, 38, and I'm going to read uh, this passage through, and you might just want to have a look at it from starting at Luke 10, 38. Yes, yeah, so as I read this, um, I just want to encourage us to think about what these words say about the nature and character of God. So starting at verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations and had to be, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Carrying on in Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'm going to be talking today about prayer. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet... Because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So... um, I'm just going to take this contraption. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke together over the past few weeks. The good news, which was carefully, um, the good news, which was carefully investigated by Luke, the doctor, 
he recorded um, Jesus' birth, his infancy and early days, and and then the ministry, as he taught his disciples around Galilee, was like an apprenticeship, on-the-job training where they witnessed Jesus healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, feeding the 5,000, forgiving sins. He stilled the stormy seas and overcame the powers of darkness. He cured a woman of an incurable disease and amazed people as he raised a young girl who was dead back to life. And in doing these things, he revealed something of the nature and character of God. And often throughout this time, the, the, the disciples would notice that he would go off to a solitary place to pray. And so here we start as he's on a journey towards Jerusalem. And he finds, he, he comes to Bethany and the house where Mary and Martha uh, were. Just before this, he, talk, he, he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and in doing so, he, he challenges the assumptions of the people by redefining their understanding of who a neighbor is and gives an insight into the nature and character of God whose love and grace is much wider than they had realized. And now he comes to the house of Mary and Martha, and he does it again. Another assumption is challenged. So Martha welcomes him into her home. She's very hospitable. And Mary, her sister, sits at his feet, listening to his teaching. To put it mildly, this was a very bold thing to do. In this culture, for a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. She should have been in the kitchen or the women's quarters, but not in the public room where men only would meet. Furthermore, she should have she adopted um, a posture of a student sitting at the te- at the teacher's feet, and therefore she was behaving as if she were a man. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel when he studied under him. There was a posture of learning at the feet of a teacher, the rabbi. So Mary smashes all the cultural norms, and Jesus affirms her right to do so, even stating to an upset Martha that Mary had chosen the better part. One thing is important. Elsewhere in in Matthew 11, 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's something of his nature and character that he wants us to understand. Jesus declares himself to be a teacher and Mary chose the good part in responding to his invitation. I was trying to get a grip on this in the week and um, had often thought about Mary and Martha as being, you know, you're either an activist or you're a contemplative. But that's not what this passage is really emphasizing and um, I was asking God about it, and, and I think from a personal perspective, I wanted to know uh, whether I was missing something. And I had a dream. I won't go into the details of it, but the main thrust of the dream was that I was away with a team of people, and we were, we were doing stuff that was about the kingdom of God. We were praying. There was, there was stuff we were seeing. 
And then I return, we returned home and I got into my house and I became really upset and irritable because somebody had let their dog mess on my carpet and they hadn't cleared it up. Strange but true in the dream. Um, but the thing, the thing that I think God was wanting to show me, and maybe it's something that we can always all be aware of, is that in the dream I just became so upset and fussed with this thing that had happened so much that I lost my perspective on what was really important. Seeing the things of the kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God, we hear, don't we? I could have chosen to sit at the feet of the teacher. It's not that clearing up the dog's mess is wrong. These things happen, don't they? But it's where I let that take me. I chose to stay in the wrong place. So I've been repenting all week. Um, So there's an invitation for each and every one of us. No exceptions to come and sit at the feet of the teacher and learn about the things of the kingdom and the nature and character of God. We don't know what Jesus was teaching as Mary sat at his feet, but in the next passage, we hear him teaching the disciples um, to pray. They ask him, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. They must have seen him going off to solitary places and wondered why. Um, Usually there was a lot of need around him. Why would you go when all these people need you, Jesus? But perhaps they were beginning to see that the things that Jesus was doing emerged out of his relationship with his father and that the key to that relationship was prayer. Um, Sean Lambert says this, if we want to be available to others, we need to make ourselves radically unavailable. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. There's an imperative about those It's like an order. Your kingdom come, your name be hallowed. The first word, Father, he reveals who the Father is and what the Father is like. It's 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 quite a, a kind of childlike Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy sort of phrase. It's not remote. It's not like God is a remote Father, but this is... As, as his children, we can come to him and say, Papa, would you do these things? It reveals that we're sons and daughters and it invites us to address Almighty God the, way, the same way that Jesus does and enjoy the same kind of relationship that he had with his father. It gives us access into the throne room. Jesus also says in John fourteen nine. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, which means that we see the nature of God revealed, the nature and character of God revealed in his Son. Father, hallowed be your name. It's a bold command. I think I'd always thought of this. I don't know if you did do this, but I always thought, Father in heaven, hallowed. I, I magnify your name, Lord, which is a good thing to pray. And to say, but, but what it's really saying is, God, let your name be hallowed. Let your, and if there's ever a time when we need to see God's name glorified on the earth, isn't it now? When God's name is anything but hallowed in many places. He cares about his honor and reputation. And he'll always act in ways that are consistent with his character. 
What's in a name, though? Why, why is that important? Well, we choose our children's names very carefully, don't we? My uh, sister-in-law is about to have a baby, and they, they're trying to choose names. And there's a name that goes back in our family, um, a girl's name, and they wanted me to find out the character of the girls who were called this name, who'd gone before us. So I spoke to my 90-odd-year-old aunt to find out, is that ne- what were they like? What were those? There were two, two women. Um, were they okay? Because for the parents... It's important that character, there's something to do with character and personality, it's important. And so names communicated, especially, it was more important in those days, they communicated something about the nature and the person and the character of that person. Peter was called the rock. And so the name God is not just a name, it's descriptive. It, It to know his name is to know some essential truth and, uh, about his nature and character, who he is and what he's like. Yahweh, God's covenant name, declared to Moses, I am who I am. It carries with it a sense of relationship. I will be your God and I will never leave you. I'm always with you. I don't know if you remember back in the day, Cedric Hobbs used to sing that song, um, Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Jehovah Rophe, God heals. Jehovah Diskenu, God is our righteousness. Uh, Jehovah Nissi, God is our banner. There are many names of God that, that say something about his nature and character. This morning we were singing, uh, God is a strong and mighty tower, a shelter like no other. Nothing has the power to save like your name. Let the nations shout it louder. We're going to pray that the nations will shout the name of God louder later. So hallowing and glorifying, you could say holifying God's name, was high on Jesus' list of priorities. Um, in John twelve twenty eight, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the really amazing thing is that Jesus dying on the cross and giving his life for the whole world, in emptying himself in servant love, another aspect of God's nature and character, is fully manifested. His nature and character is fully manifested in Jesus as he dies on the cross for the whole world to see. So the one who teaches us this prayer is the one who fully answers it. And then he says, your kingdom come. It's another imperative. Lord, let your kingdom come. He's also a king, the king of kings, who has a plan and a purpose to bring his rule on earth, the transformation of a broken world. We often say that we live in the now and the not yet. Perhaps we could say that the kingdom is here, but not yet fully revealed. It's coming and it's here So Jesus here is encouraging us to come as his children, as the children of our heavenly father and boldly pray, let your kingdom come to hasten the revealing of the king and the coming of his kingdom. We're going to pray that later. 
And then he says, give us this day, or give us each day our daily bread. Here the prayer shifts from you, you do this, Lord, you hallow your name to us. Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider who cares about our daily needs. And there are so many mentions of bread and images of bread in in the Bible. Here are just a few of them. Um, God miraculously provides manna each day in the desert for all those years to sustain and feed his people after they'd fled Egypt. And this manna came down from heaven and here the ultimate bread that gives that he gives us is through his son who came down from heaven to earth like manna but this is Jesus who declared himself to be the bread of life in John 6:35 he says whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty And in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And we break bread now, don't we, as the people of God, as a sign of his presence in the church and a bond between believers. Um, I just want to, um, I don't know if any of you have heard of George Muller. Anybody heard of George Muller? Oh, a lot are great, okay. I mean, if you, if you Google his name, there, there's just loads of stuff about him. And his, he, he really was so keen to keep his uh, joy in God at the, at the, at the forefront of his... It, it, it was all up for him. If he, if he kept understanding who God was and who he was in Christ, everything else flowed out of that and... This is just one of the stories. There are many. He was born in 1805, Christian missionary and evangelist and the coordinator of orphanages in Bristol. And um, he had the privilege of caring for 120,000 children in that time. And uh, he, he never asked for money, but God always provided. And this is just one instance of God's provision and how George Muller dealt with the fact that there was no provision. One morning in one of the orphanages, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were standing, waiting for their morning meal when Muller said, Children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, We thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Hear the confidence in that. I love that. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have any bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Muller thanked the baker. And no sooner had he left than there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. Shame. And he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon to repair it. Isn't that great? I love his kind of forthrightness and his trust that God's going to provide before he's asked. God knows what we want before we we ask, doesn't he? 
And then Jesus goes on as part of the prayer, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is again showing something of God's nature and, and character. God, the reconciler and forgiver, who wants our relationships to work. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Jesus would accomplish this completely in his death. Nailing it to the cross, he pays the debt himself. The one who teaches us to pray pays the debt himself, all of it. Or as someone said, he came to pay a debt we did not owe. He did not owe. Sorry, I'm going to start that again. He came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we cannot pay. And he asks us to imitate this incredible graciousness of God in forgiving our enemies, in forgiving those who have hurt us. This is where forgiveness is, the kingdom of God comes. It's a sign of the kingdom of God coming because it's so countercultural, isn't it? And then he goes on and lead us not into temptation. God knows that we live in a battlefield. He gives us this petition that in the midst of the battle, he will keep us from being tempted by the enemy. There is a sense in this word, word temptation, a couple of things. One is temptation and one is trial. And there is something about that life can be tough, can't it? And there is, God does allow us to walk through things that are tough. It feels like there's a refining going on a, 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 as that can happen, as, as we respond to that. But as we walk through the trial that life can sometimes be, this prayer is God lead us. not into temptation in the midst of the trial. You know when we're in a trial, sometimes we just feel like giving up and forgetting it. But this is, no, God, would you keep us? Keep us so that we can grow and respond to your work in us. Um, There's a refining that's going on and, and something of being transformed into the image of Christ, into the likeness of Christ. So lead us not into temptation. And then from verse 5 in, in Luke 11, we have this amazing, this lovely picture of, of a friend knocking at the door of another friend, asking for three loaves of bread, because they have none and they've got visitors. And the picture here, I always thought, yeah, that's a bit odd, you know, surely your kids are in bed, it's not going to disturb the kids if you, if you answer the door. But what I hadn't realized that was that in this culture, at this time, Probably they were all sleeping in one room, in a row. And so for the father uh, to get up to answer the door, the whole family would be woken up and disturbed. And so that gives a little bit of a different perspective. It would have been a nuisance. But also in those days, in that culture, both the friend who knocked 
and the father who was woken would know that whenever a traveler arrived needing food and shelter, there was an obligation to provide it. And so here again we see persistence, the persistence that Jesus says we can pray this prayer with. Let it be. The persistence that George Muller showed throughout his life. Jesus is encouraging persistence as we pray. A holy boldness and a tenacity which refuses to give up. A dogged determination. Remember the imperatives. Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptations. There's a forcible tone in these commands, but it's not, but, it's, but there's a sense of, Father, you do it. Because we know the wonderful thing about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus taught, taught us to pray it, so we know we're praying something that's His will. We don't have to doubt that. Let it be done. And then a reminder, and we do need reminding, don't we, that God is our Father who delights in giving his children good gifts. More of his nature and character revealed. The nature and character and name about which he is revealing through his Son and about which we pray, be hallowed. I think... I'm very nearly done, but I think that the thing that grieves me just about more than anything else at the moment is that God's name and his nature and character um, are not being hallowed or glorified in in me, (laughs) probably perhaps in us, as we don't always grasp what he's like we assume things about him that perhaps are not true but more so as I switch on the news and I see what's happening in the nations and uh, God's name is misrepresented and he cares about his name being hallowed and about people knowing who he really is and so I'm gonna finish here and I think Gordy and the band are gonna come up And we're going to pray.